at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello. Happy uh, John is back in America week. Yeah. Made it back. Uh, we mentioned this last week. It was over in London. Stopped over in Belgium for a little bit and drank quite a few Belgian beers. We'll, uh, we'll get to all of that, especially the beer part, um, around halftime. But... Uh, yeah, Dan. Why don't we start talking about the uh, the basketball tournament, which is the only uh, the only Syracuse sports really going on right now? I love the basketball tournament. <laughs> it's so fun. I don't know why it took so long for this to happen. To be perfectly honest, it's like such a perfect idea, and uh, like we talked about it all last summer. It's just like obviously there's baseball going on and whatnot, but like in the college sports calendar, this is such a big gap, and obviously this doesn't drag out that long. It's like what three or four weeks, but it's just such a fun event. Um, and I was happily reminded about, about about that this weekend. I'm excited for the games to be on ESPN next week. Um, I'm excited to see who the ringer is because that is the prevailing mystery in the world of Syracuse athletics. Um, yeah, I mean it's just been a it's been a good time. Who do you think the ringer is? Uh, I I kind of like I love the the uh, Jerry McNamara theories like that just be so crazy and people would go nuts. So I'm, like, rooting for that, even though I don't know, like, maybe... I don't know if Jerry would even be the best choice at this point. You know, his his basketball career uh, as a player is a little bit behind him. Um, I've seen, uh, you know, we've seen all the names that are banded about. Chris Joseph would be cool, because I feel like he's just been kind of off our radar in general since he fell through with the Celtics and the Nets. Um, obviously, I, I've seen people talk about Trevor Cooney, which would be cool. Uh, a nice way for Trevor to, you know, he kind of helped... Uh, build back up his Syracuse legacy uh, during the tournament run. and, and Don't get people know, started, Dan. We're going to get shouted down. <laughs> Don't talk Cooney legacy. I'm just saying, if, you, if you're Trevor Cooney and you get to your second Final Four and you are an, an instrumental part of that <laughs> Final Four and then you help a bunch of your fellow uh, alumni win $2 million bucks, like that's a pretty decent senior year slash entrance into the world of professional basketball. This is so, such troll bait. <laughs> I, I think Cooney is the... I think he's my... Uh, like, if I had to choose from my heart, I think it'd be Cooney, because I think Syracuse is a really good chance to win this whole thing. Um, I think uh, they could probably use another point guard, so if there's like a Stoop, if Stoop, Jard- Stoop Jardine's out there somewhere, obviously he's probably in Philly because he's Stoop Jardine, and I'm surprised he's not mayor yet. Um, that'd be fun. I saw the absolutely ridiculous possibility of Deion Waiters, who is currently <laughs> looking for an NBA contract, so probably not the brightest thing, but would it be a Dion decision if it was? Um, so that'd be fun to see it automatically be the best player in this whole thing. Uh, I think we've seen like James Sutherland, who seems like made for this thing with the short three-point arc and his crazy athleticism. So, I mean, all the options that have been bandied about are pretty fun, and just like throwing any any notable former Syracuse basketball player on this team is pretty cool. So I'm, I'm thrilled to see who it is. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I, I will. Lo- I would love to just troll the anti-community people for a couple more uh, weeks <laughs> if we if that if that's allowed. I mean, you can do it as long as you want. To be honest, um, I you know what I I think the fact they made this a big deal on the ringer means it has to be one of the names kind of tossed out there. Um, I don't. Waiters is smarter than this. As much as fun as it would be to have him there. I love Dion. Is he? I mean, he could play for us. Hopefully, his agent is smarter than this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I think he's smarter than this. Jerry would be fun, and I feel like that would be an easy way to really, uh, really get people talking about it. Cooney, I feel like if he's trying out for anybody, this isn't a great move for him. Um, Sutherland, I know, wrapped up summer league. Routens, it really depends on what his, um, what is he in Israel? He's been all over. Yeah, I think he's he was uh, in Italy and Spain. Andy would be awesome. That'd be a great addition too. I, I he, feel like Andy would play so de- so damn hard if he broke like, that beard. Oh my god! And plus, like Andy's another guy. Like we really haven't. I mean, since he he fell through with the Knicks, which was kind of an unfortunate thing because he got hurt and just never really had a shot. Like, he's been, you know, over in Europe, and we hear about him once in a while, but, like, he's a guy that we haven't really caught up with. So, I mean, I think that's half the fun of these, these things, is seeing these guys play again. And I feel like Andy would just, like, he would go all out in this thing. Oh, yeah. And Andy would be a hell of a lot of fun to watch in this. I think, again, if he brought that, that insane beard that, he, uh, that he's currently rocking over there, I, I think we're, we're in for a real treat. I, I'm, I'm going to put my money on Andy, but... Uh, it could potentially be any of these other guys too, right? Uh, and and kudos to Kevin Belby for making us uh, like sweat this one out because like legitimately, apparently, like Bai said he didn't even know who it was. So um, I saw that on Twitter earlier. So yeah, uh, definitely building the intrigue, um, which is not something you're usually used to in the third or fourth week of July uh, in Syracuse athletics, unless it's like a random commitment or something. And even that, like, that's less direct than this. This is an actual game that's going to be played. So I really hope they. Uh, I hope they don't unveil him until, like, the minute tip-off happens and he runs out of the tunnel or something crazy at the end. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. I, know I missed the first two games because I was um, elsewhere. I will, I'll be sure to make the rest, however. And, and, and again, I, I, I do think that that, uh, that entry strategy would be the best for all involved, though I would also think if you wanted to sell tickets, you might want people in the door a little earlier. Well, if it's Jerry, then people you you kind of you probably want it, you know because the entire city of Stratton's gonna drive down if it's Jerry. Like Jerry might actually get carried in on the <laughs> like like a you know a crowd surfing rock star by Strattonites into the arena if it's Jerry. So um, yeah, I mean that would that Jerry would be so crazy. That'd be such a a ridiculous thing, especially because like he's kind of an active recruiting time right now, so he probably shouldn't be doing it. No. But I wouldn't like get mad about it. <laughs> I no, think it'd be fun. I, I'd be fine with that. And right, I guess that's really all we have going on with Syracuse. But there is a lot of other things going on in terms of college sports. Um, we're going to get to the Pac-12 preview later on today. Uh, but before that, Big Twelve seems like they're actively going to expand now. I know that we've been stop and start, and this has been like the dumbest. Will they or won't they ever? But it's funny that once again the Big Twelve just decided to act like the Big Twelve. They waited for, you know, the Big Ten to to rumoredly act act pretty aggressively. 
uh, even in this cycle where they're, they're, they're never ruling out more schools. Pac-12 seems perfectly content to bury its entertaining brand of football into midnight and, and do nothing about their situation. SEC doesn't have to do anything as any team in the country would kill to leave their current situation for that one, probably. And then uh, the ACC, shrewd, aggressive, and uh, kind of does everything under the cover of night. And that, as always, is what kind of prompts the Big 12 to act, and that's where we stand today. Yeah, uh, it makes me appreciate the ACC so much more because based on the teams in the league, with less uh, stable leadership, like that league could have imploded, and they've kept the losses to a very minimum, high Maryland, your minimum. Um, they've replaced those losses with better programs. They've done like all the right things. And like you said, they kind of just move under this like cloud cover of Swafford being sneaky uh, behind the behind the scenes. Uh, and now we're getting a network. Now who knows what that network will actually look like. I don't expect it to be, you know, it might not be as full-fledged like the SEC network, but it's something. It'll probably boost our revenue significantly. And I think the, the thing people aren't talking about as much is the brand of rights now is reportedly being pushed out to 2036, which makes it really, really hard for, uh, for the AC to be poached. Um, and the Big 12 obviously is now scrambling for whomever. Like, obviously, there was a, a fun story last night about how Bill Snyder said that some of the former Big 12 teams want to come back. But, like, yeah, that was great. Yeah, I mean, A, that's probably not true. <laughs> like, maybe he heard something from a person. Colorado, but, maybe, though. Maybe. The, my problem with Colorado is, like, Colorado's struggles, I don't think, are predicated on them being in the Pac 12. I think Colorado just happened to move at, like, the worst time. Because their struggles, like, extend far beyond their move. Like, they were bad for eight years before that. Um, Nebraska makes the most sense, like, because they left behind a lot of their rivalries, but they're not going to turn down the Big Ten money. They're making, like, 10 to $15 million more a year in the conference they're in now. And if Snyder heard it from a, a Nebraska person, like, who is it? Because everyone at Nebraska is gone. Like, they're pretty much entirely overhauled their, their, their school and their athletic department in the last couple of years. Uh, Mizzou's done just fine in the SEC, and A&M, like, there's no way they're going to throw back to the Big 12 in Texas with their tail between their legs. And they've done okay, too. Like, I don't know that they'd be doing a lot better in the Big 12. So uh, that that's all hard to believe. Um, I, I don't doubt that Steiner heard it from someone. I just doubt it's someone who actually has the authority to make a move like that. Um, so then you have the AAC, and you have, you know, maybe a couple Mountain West schools that have been floated around. And, you know, I'm sure that if they can go sign Cincinnati and Memphis or – whomever, UCF, BYU, those are fine, but they're not really moving the needle. Um, but they're probably what they need to do. And, and at this point, a part of me, the, the, the person who you know writes blog posts every day, kind of hopes it drags out because it's been great for that. But otherwise, like, I can see where Big 12 fans are probably just exhausted by the whole thing. Yeah, I think Big 12 fans, I think fans of perspective, expansion teams, and now, of course, because they added the, the idiotic, well, it could be two or it could be four you know addition now, now you have this like kind of mad scramble and this is the first time we're really seeing um, this kind of open yard sale where you know a conference commissioner is saying give me your best offer and then teams are just going to be scrambling over themselves and and you're going to see a hell of a lot of negativity and a hell of a lot of um, you know just like really embarrassing behavior for, from ADs, coaches and, and otherwise um so yeah, part of me thinks that this shouldn't drag on too long. Part of me, I mean, it's not like they haven't been selling themselves for years. 
part of me thinks it's going to drag on uh, for quite a while, and we're going to see kind of who can embarrass themselves the most. Um, it, the answer won't be BYU. Uh, I, I will say that. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're going to or, or, or not you know, make the Big 12, but I would, I would assume that the admins there seem to have the most level heads from, from, all, uh, from all indications. Um, we, we've talked about this ad nauseum and some other things too. Um, Colorado would make a hell of a lot of sense. I don't know what the Pac-12 would do if that happened. Um, I do think the Pac, well, I agree with your premise that Colorado's issues started well before. I do feel like they'd be better off getting back into Texas from a recruiting standpoint. Um, I don't think Nebraska's leaving because of the Big Ten money situation, um, but I do think from a competitive standpoint and a rivalry standpoint, they might be better off. Um, I just think, and again, we've talked about this, West Virginia move made it impossible to go to BYU. It just it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for the conference to, to start planning itself all across the country and, and you know, diluting its brand and, and identity even more. Yeah, I think you need to go. You need to build a bridge to West Virginia. The obvious one, Cincinnati. They make a lot. I, I've thought for a while now. Cincinnati's just the most. It's not the sexiest move. None of these moves are all that sexy, honestly. Um, but that's definitely not the the sexiest move. But it probably makes the. It fills the most boxes. I think they're competitive in football. I don't see Cincinnati falling off a cliff by going to the Big Twelve. Like they they have they've proven they have a fairly high ceiling. At least you know when they were in the Big East. Um, solid coach. They have a. They seem to be committed to winning, um, and I know they're improving Nippert Stadium and whatnot, which is an issue. But uh, I think that's just an easy one to plug in, and then you can kind of do whatever what you will with the other one. Um, I've seen Memphis. Obviously, they like officially announced their candidacy for the Big Twelve today, which is a. The, I think Memphis is the only school that ever does that, and they do it every single time. It's amazing. Yep. I love Memphis. They're just so. They're so like. They don't give a shit about offending like their current conference. They're like, no, we're we're gonna we're gonna flirt with these guys, and you'll just be here because you're the AAC. So whatever. Um, like, but I don't know if Memphis made so much sense beyond that. They've been good for like two years, and they've been dreadful for many years before that. Um, and you know, they don't actually bring the state of Tennessee all that much. And Tennessee's not a great recruiting state as it is. Um, I'm I still think the fly. I, th- I still think UCF. Like I. I don't know. I, obviously, they're kind of on an island, too, but if you're going to get Cincinnati and West Virginia, I mean, those two are in a league with them now already, like, why not try to build an inroads into Florida? You're obviously not going to have the same presence that the uh, SEC or the ACC have there, but, like, I feel like UCF has more upside than probably about anyone. And they've been – I mean, last year was a just a ridiculous fall off a cliff, but they've been very good for a long time. Um, Stop Frost, obviously – bring some excitement and should be able to turn that back around at least to you know respectable standards um i think those would be my two if i had to choose i think i would go cincinnati and ucf go east get into some interest you ohio and florida which are two of probably the top five to ten recruiting spots you get like a, a little more upside uh and I, I don't think there'd be that much arguing with those two yeah, I, I think the, I mean, obviously it doesn't matter what you did last year, but I think the 0-12 mark for UCF obviously complicates matters. Um, in, in the immediate term and in the optics standpoint, uh, I think, and you know, you brought up a good point there that I, I haven't really heard anybody discuss, is that like, you know, what are the ceilings for these programs? Um, I, I feel like that, that was, it wasn't like a, a huge part of the discussion last time around, but I feel like it was at least a consideration. 
is where is the where's the furthest place these programs can go um and i think you know you saw it with whether it's tcu west virginia teams that could contend for national championships without being in a in one of the top five conferences um you know i i think that for even us in pit that there was a there was a sense that the basketball value the brand value overall the the academic and overall culture fit and then um the fact that football-wise, there was probably like an eight or nine win ceiling, maybe, but that still wasn't a bad thing. Um, I just feel like now, that, you know, all, all these other factors that the Big 12 seem to put out there, you know, none of it is really, you know, where's the ceiling for, for the football program? UCF's proven its ceiling. Cincinnati's proven its ceiling. Um, I just don't know if you can invite UCF without USF, and I don't. To be honest, I don't know if I would invite UCF without USF. I think it's got to be all or nothing with the Florida schools. That's possible. Although, if you're talking about bad timing, uh, hi USF. Nice, <laughs> nice academic scandal you got there. The day the Big Twelve is uh, starting to look at teams Ooh, officially. Obviously, it's basketball, and you know USF barely plays basketball as it is, aside from that one year where they went to the tournament. But uh, that was that was fun timing. Yeah, that's not great, especially for a conference that is uh, that has not been too pleased with its current scandal uh, or scandalese, I guess, and what they how they've conducted themselves. I don't, I don't think it bodes well. I don't think it's it's a deal breaker either. But I, I mean, I think the Big Twelve would sign for USF scandal at this point compared to what they've had. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, I mean, we we talked about it online too. I think one of the one of the things that this this process, the way they they framed it, is going to to create is you know every every goofy idiot school is going to throw their hat in the ring, and that includes our favorite school, Tulane. Tulane, who, who seems like they're they're super serious about it, and and you know we we've we've covered the the private school issues at ad nauseum. Um, for, for college football, I, I just think there's just too much against Tulane. The, the ceiling, I mean, the ceiling since since that, what, 98 or 99 season for Tulane is like six wins. Um, I think that they're on a better track. I think it took them a very long time to recover from everything post-Katrina. I think that they've reinvested in athletics. Um, but I, I just, I feel like in the Big 12, though, I really don't see Tulane's ceiling as more than seven like if you think West Virginia is around eight or nine in the, in the Big Twelve, then I, I don't really know how, you know, private school Tulane, an afterthought at times in, in New Orleans, is is going to be really much better than that, if even close to it. No, Tulane really doesn't make a lot of sense, which is why it was funny to see uh, see that thing about like the there was like a radio host in New Orleans like talking about it, but uh, good for them. I mean, why not try? There's no yeah, harm in trying. Exactly. Uh, in another universe where Tulane, you know, never left the SEC or something, maybe yeah. uh, that that should be Tulane's lead. Like if they actually do, like try to court the Big Twelve. Like, have you heard? We were once in the SEC. <laughs> Would you like to court one time SEC member Tulane? Southern University is also using this pitch, as is uh, Sewanee State. Actually, that's what I meant. Sewanee, which is the school of the South, Georgia Tech. Don't even think about it. <laughs> They're not going anywhere. Georgia wouldn't let them back in anyway. Once again, yes. Once again, twenty thirty six, twenty thirty six grant of rights. What up? I, I do enjoy that that twenty thirty six grant of rights element to it, and, and in particular the the Notre Dame you're not going anywhere either uh, element to, to the whole ACC network thing because I feel like 
that's a great trump card for us. And uh, I still don't buy Notre Dame joining, but if I did, obviously there's nowhere else they're going anytime soon. Right. It's basically if Notre Dame is forced into a conference for whatever reason, it's going to be the ACC. And if you're the ACC, like that, maybe that never comes to fruition. But I like having that card. Yeah, and I think it, it you know it, it definitely adds value to the network. Um, just from a standpoint of there's always that carrot kind of hanging out there. People do care about Irish sports outside of football. I mean, not as much, but they do care, and that does provide some brand value. Um, the fact that you get to say you're the home of Notre Dame's other sports, you know, means something. Uh, and, and ESPN's always looking for a piece of that, you know, sweet, sweet Notre Dame cash. So this has to that has to help them in some way. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely the everything. The, everything the ACC has basically done since they added us and Pitt, like they they haven't made too many missteps. It's uh, it's I, I all been very every, impressive. I would say everything they've done since the first round of re- actually no, everything they've done in realignment at all <laughs> has probably been. I mean, think about it. You, you you traded South Carolina for Georgia Tech. That, that that's a net win. You you grab Florida State. Huge win. Yeah, you grab Boston College right before they took off. You grab Virginia Tech when they were in the midst of still being a very dominant program. Miami, no one's going to really hold that against you, even if they never make an, an ACC championship game. Yeah, I mean, that was good process, like, mediocre result. But, like, yeah. Miami was, was the power in the sport. Grabbing them was a no-brainer. Yeah, and I still buy Rick being able to turn them back into a 9 or 10 win per, program perennially. Yeah, I mean, the question is, like, how many 9 or 10 win years do Miami fans, like, have fun with before they start getting, you know... Georgia. Yeah. (laughs) For Georgia, it took a while. Like, Georgia fans, I feel like, didn't even, like, get there until after they had fired Rick. Like, it's like the firing of it's like, oh, yeah, we should be better. But uh, Miami fans, like, having encountered some Miami fans online, like, I I give it, like, four years. Like, I think if Rick... Uh, wins like 10 games back-to-back years and then falls down eight, it's going to start to get a little like, and unfairly so, but I think it, people will get a little antsy. Yeah, I'd buy that. Yeah, and then obviously us trading, you know, Louisville for Maryland, all these things sound pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, Maryland for Louisville, just like, literally, I, I just such an obvious move. And the fact that Big 12 didn't jump for Louisville when they had the chance. That like, was the funniest funniest thing like you act like, like they were ready to, to pick louisville they were ready to do it and then they they went back on it and it was such a mistake yep because yep. we would have picked yukon and west virginia would be just sitting around wondering what the hell they had done wrong i mean or maybe they would have picked west virginia but like louisville is just a much like just across the board there's just a lot more with louisville like oh, no fo- football there, 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 football wise, no maybe it's even there. at this point Basketball, obviously, Louisville wins a lot, lot more. They're just such a well-run department. Um, aside from, you know, you occasionally get some weird stuff with Patino, but like in terms of the actual like dollars and cents of it, it just a no-brainer. And uh, yeah, you blew it, Big Twelve, which is a theme, which is why you're now looking at Memphis and uh, Cincinnati and whomever else. Yeah, you know the big the biggest theme of conference realignment. Well, one of the biggest themes of conference realignment has been. It didn't really expand the power school pool at all from the uh, from the 2003-2004, you know, BCS setup. 
Um, the only teams added, you know, to the pool were um, Utah and TCU, and then we got rid of USF, UConn, and Cincinnati. Now, of course, you could end up adding Cincinnati and UConn or whatever anyway, but, like, this is the first time we're really seeing, you know, teams go, eh, I mean, I guess, I guess we're going to expand this group. Uh, you know, it's been around 65 to 67 and this is the first time we could see a potential expansion closer to to seventy with, with some newer names in there. I as much as I'm, as much as I love inclusion in in these sports and, and especially in college football, where I feel like bucking the status quo is so rare and just you know such a thing to to marvel. At the same time, I just I don't know if we need to get this far. The number needs to get this high in terms of teams that have a realistic shot to win the national championship. Right. And and that's you know I think that's part of like the Big 12's uh, hesitance to this point is you know there's a, there's a little bit about like diluting what you have but then you're also like you're the league with Kansas and Iowa State so right yeah <laughs> <laughs> can't really talk <laughs> but like if you're ESPN and Fox like why are you okay with this like why are you okay with 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 paying them out the same rate no matter which one of these like ass programs they they decide to invite. Um, I don't know. That's like the big debate because a couple of years ago it was all about adding, just kind of adding uh, games, and that in which case making the leagues bigger is always better. And now there's like the debate as to whether or not like quality is better than quantity or at least like equally important, and and that's where your argument comes in. Like then does adding Memphis and Cincinnati and UCF or whoever like does that really move the needle if like the the numbers are to be marginal? But at the same time, like if you look at like even what bowl game, like shitty bowl games do on TV rating wise, like football is such a big draw. Yeah, like football is such a big draw compared to like what the average television show does in general. That you know maybe it still is worth it to just add a couple extra games and get get more content out there. Makes sense. I guess you know kind of get us close to halftime. Which schools do you think have the highest and lowest ceilings? If we're using the kind of metric I was bringing up before, of the uh, of the considered ones, um, highest ceiling, I th- like I said before, I think it's UCF. Um, I guess you could argue USF. I don't know why, like I feel this way, and it feels like in general, like people separate them as much as they do because like they're kind of similar schools. But UCF, they're like the one of the biggest schools in the country, uh, which brings this like really large uh, natural fan base. Um, that really hasn't come to fruition yet. We're like twenty. Like that's a, UCF is, is is the long play, right? I mean, with, and it's hard without to without downside now. But they also haven't been around that long, so it's like it's a lot easier that's to what entice I mean, people to. Years. Yeah, but it's a lot easier to entice people to to like, hey, we're going to play Texas in football every year. Come be part of this thing. Than like, hey, we're going to play uh, Tulsa in football every year. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of, I mean, being in Florida, they've already kind of proven they can be pretty good. They beat Baylor like three years ago on a BCS bowl. Um, they destroyed Baylor. In they crushed Baylor. Blake Bortles, legend, the legend, uh, grew that day. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think UCF. Obviously, last year they showed that they can be really, really bad. Uh, but I think that was uh, in part because George O'Leary gave up on his job halfway through the year and. Just everything kind of fell apart there, and you kind of saw signs of that heading into the year as uh, anyway. Um, but they've also like proven they can recruit with some like lower level P5s at times. 
I just think they, they have a lot going for them. Um, obviously, it's not a slam dunk, but no one is. Uh, lowest ceiling, I think it might... Memphis has been really good the last two years, but I struggle with their history. Like, Memphis, historically, is a bad program. Um, they're never going to be pushing Tennessee in their state. Like, they're way closer to Middle Tennessee. Um, they're, like I said before, out of the Southeast, like, Tennessee's one of the worst football states uh, in terms of recruits. Like, there's just uh, not, like, that many compared to most of the other, you know, schools in the area. Obviously, Memphis will probably be able to get into Texas a little bit and whatnot, but um, you're not bringing in a lot there as compared to, like, Georgia, which is massive, and Mississippi has a ton, and Louisiana has a ton, and Alabama is a very good uh, recruiting state. Tennessee is just, like, kind of, like, middling in terms of, like, the country at large, so... And Memphis has garbage facilities. And their facilities aren't great. Obviously, FedEx would probably throw a lot of money at them, which is fine. Um, but I just think compared to, like, the Florida schools, Ohio, Cincinnati... Um, has proven they can do it for uh, at a high level, and they're in Ohio, which is a big advantage, and not every kid can go to Ohio State. So if you have a second Power 5 in Ohio, um, that kind of impacts the recruiting game in a pretty big way, since Ohio is not quite Florida or Georgia, but that's a state that gets recruited pretty heavily by a lot of schools, not just the Buckeyes, because there are a lot of kids and, and just one power program. Um, so that would change the game a little bit there. Um but yeah, I think Memphis, like, they're interesting. I, I think they came on at a really good time. But I don't think you're necessarily getting the team that played in 2014 and 15. Um, and odds are, based on, like, the historical uh, profile of that program, you're not. You're getting, you know, at best a, a middling um, program in a nice city. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree there. I think... I think Memphis is a good candidate for lowest ceiling. I think UConn's probably the best candidate for lowest ceiling. I, I honestly forgot they were even considered. <laughs> <laughs> They're definitely, they definitely have a lower ceiling. <laughs> if we're really lucky, Bob Bowlesby is also going to forget that they were even considered. I mean, I feel like we heard a lot of their name the first time this brought up a couple months ago, and I, I haven't heard like a word about UConn the last couple days. Yeah, I know that they were kind of like an afterthought. I mean, Cincinnati seems like they're already in. Which, good for you guys, Cincinnati. I'm happy for Cincinnati. They kind of deserve it. They've done things the right way. Um, they just have, like, mitigating circumstances that made them not as attractive as, like, Louisville and West Virginia. But, like, Cincinnati, they've won a lot. They've hired good coaches. Like, I, I can't hate on them. Yeah, that's fine. I don't know if they have the highest ceiling. I think that your UCF pick is a good one. I think Cincinnati is the highest floor. Yeah, I buy that, actually. Maybe Houston. I mean, Houston... Houston we, haven't even mentioned, we haven't mentioned Houston because I don't think it's going to happen. The pro- Houston has just such a big issue in being in Texas. Like, right. if, Houston, if Houston got taken in by Louisiana, they'd be in tomorrow. But yeah. they, they just – the Texas schools, I can't imagine them wanting Houston in the league. Houston is already recruiting at a ridiculous level for what they are. It's only going to get crazier if they go to the Big 12. Like, I think Houston would jump Texas Tech the minute they join. I, I just – like – and, and I, I just can't – it doesn't make a lot of sense for those Texas schools. Maybe Oklahoma will vote for Houston just to grief Texas, and that'd be hilarious, but I just can't imagine the rest of the league wanting to deal with that, especially if then Houston um, can keep Tom Herman around for more than another year. And for him, like, it's based on the jobs he turned down this year and, and what we've heard, like, it's going to take a lot to bring him somewhere else. So maybe he thinks, like, this is legitimately a, ch- a possibility or he's at least waiting it out to see what happens with Houston before he makes a big move because 
it's a really good recruiting city. He's obviously built like really imp- impressive roots there in one year. Um, they're terrifying if they get it. Oh yeah, I think if Houston if Houston gets it, Houston can take that conference by storm. That's I guess that's the fear for for not just TCU and Texas Tech and maybe even Baylor, but that, that's the fear for you know your, your Texas and your Oklahoma to a point. I I just don't know if they have the support. Uh, it although the coaches that coaches poll that came out and said it was five for BYU and five for Houston was pretty interesting. I. I still think Cincinnati gets it, but then I think it complicates matters um, for the second choice. Again, I, I I don't know what BYU's ceiling is. I don't think it's as high as Cincinnati or UCF or even USF, to be honest. I, I think BYU's ceiling might be like nine wins. I think BYU's ceiling is probably like what it is now. I, I don't see them getting like a lot better or worse because BYU is such a specific thing. Um, it's hard to imagine them like not being BYU. Like they are, they are what they are. They have, uh, you know, the ties of the Mormon Church, which kind of complicates things uh, for them recruiting wise. But they make it work. I, I just think BYU's like no matter where they're playing, they're always going to be kind of the team they are, unless they get a bad coaching hire. Unless like uh, I can't Trelawney. Uh, I'm yeah, trying to remember the tra- <laughs> I'm going to get it. Hold on. Trelawney Sitake. Yeah, it's not that bad. Um, yeah, I mean, unless like he just doesn't work out as a coach, then it's an issue. But I mean, if you can guarantee that you're going to have success in that realm, which is obviously not a guarantee at all in college football, um, I feel like BYU just kind of floats along in its own like space in the college football world. And I don't know that joining the Big Twelve, I mean, it might be better for them and jet like financially and whatnot, but I don't think it really changes uh, their equation in terms of winning. No, I have to agree there. All right, I think that's enough Big 12 expansion talk. Let's talk some beer. Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, so this weekend, I went to Single Cup Beer Smiths up in yeah. Astoria, which I've talked about a lot. Um, they are great. One of my, maybe my favorite New York City brewery. Um, I had their Kim Hibiscus Sour, which is quite good. Uh, it's not, I, I kind of wish their Raspberry Sour was on tap, but they haven't put that out recently. Uh, but the Hibiscus is really good as well. Um, I had their Out of Phase 1, which is a uh, kind of a unique American Wild, um, which I think they're just finishing up now. It was a small batch. Uh, That was quite good. Um, And then one of their standards that I really like, uh, their uh, Olympic White Lager, uh, which I bought a growler of and I'm drinking as we speak. Um, Really just delicious, really refreshing. Uh, Definitely, like, different... um, than your normal white, since it is a lager. It's very unique. Um, they also do, like, really, really good IPA work. Uh, I didn't have too many of those when I was there. Um, because some of the, my favorite ones weren't on tap. And they also just, they switch through stuff really quick, which uh, makes it uh, definitely worth going to check them out, especially if you're in the area, a decent amount. Uh, kind of a hike from the subway, so it's not like the easiest place to get to. They're all the way up by the water in Astoria. Um, but totally worth the trip. Um just really, really solid beer all around and really creative, uh, which is nice. Uh, and then the only other thing that's super notable that I had was uh, I had a Hawaiian Sunburn by Elysian out in Seattle, um, which was mid last week, and I have notes on it. Um, oh, it was like a, it's interesting, like I think pineapple and also like a hint of 
I want to say habanero uh, in a sour. Um, really interesting blend. I didn't get too much of the pepper, uh, and the pineapple wasn't like overpowering either. But kind of like got what they were going for there. Um, I wouldn't say it was like totally fleshed out, but uh, definitely really um, maybe for the better because I thought it was super drinkable and uh, really really refreshing um, overall. So that was good. Nice. All right. So I drank a whole bunch while I was on vacation. Um, let's see, I had, when I was in the UK, I had the Colonel Brewery um, over in London. They, uh, I don't know what their fullback story is. They're not like an American-style brewery, yet they make American-style, or at least close to American-style, uh, IPAs and pale ales. Had their Citra uh, IPA that was really good. Um, I had... Sorry, there's a lot to scroll through. I also had their uh, Citra Yule Melon. Uh, pale ale, which was also very good. UK does a really nice job of just making these, uh, like really drinkable and really like lower ABV. Like everything around there is kind of hanging under six, uh, which is, I mean, if you if you want to have a long evening out and around, it's it's easy to to down those. Obviously, um, what else did I have? Sorry, so so many things. So I had a. Uh, the bar, all the bars over there, they're like a lot of them are owned by uh, Fuller, Turner, and Smith that owns for Fuller's London Pride. They own a bunch of different breweries over there. They also own a lot of the bars, um, and the folks that make Samuel Smith own a bunch of other bars. And like, so the only beers you can get are from them. Um, so at one bar, I had the uh, Taddy Porter from Samuel Smith's old brewery. Also had I know I don't really see Yeasty Boys from New Zealand over here, but. I did see them over there, so I grabbed their uh, Gunamata uh, Earl Grey IPA that was good enough. It just didn't really have a ton of the Earl Grey in it, which I found to be weird. Um, but, yeah, that might have just been a one-bottle thing, or maybe it never was supposed to have that much Earl Grey to begin with. Um, then when I was in Belgium, uh, I stopped over at uh, Cantillon, the famed uh, Belgian-style you know, sour, get lambics, creeks, that sort of thing. Um, over in Brussels, uh, I had had the lambic, had their uh, rosé de gambrinus, I had the classic gouze. I also uh, tried a couple other things over at Delirium Cafe, which has like a couple hundred beers, uh, mostly Belgian focused. A uh, really cool spot. Um, then I headed over to Bruges uh, for the evening. And then for the rest of the vacation, so we got to try out some more stuff from Cantillon. I tried the Creek Lambic um, at this one bar that had, I think, like again, like a couple hundred uh, beers. Tried out, uh, went over to uh, De Havman um, Brewery in Bruges, um, and they uh, really cool brewery. They were around for like I want to say like over a hundred years, and they're uh, they're one of the only remaining uh, breweries in the actual like city of Bruges. Uh, so that was cool to kind of see that history and get to go through like some of the old brewing facility and then we got to try a bunch of theirs um so their uh their brew zot was their uh their blonde that they have and that one i feel i've never seen it around here but they said it's getting out here um and that one's like super drinkable i would say that would actually be like a big hit um in the u.s um that had a couple of their darker beers see it had the uh Broward's Three Fontaine, uh, Oud Gouze. I had a couple things from them because they were another one of the bigger ones out there. Um, I had the 
Trappist was uh, Vlateran 12. It's supposed to be one of the best beers in the world, according to many. Um, and I thought that was very, very good. Uh, again, made by monks in Belgium. Had the uh, Panapot Reserva from De Struis Brewers. And I think... And that was like one of the main ones. I want to ramble. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of stuff. Uh, go to my untapped page. You want to see all the other uh, Belgian-y stuff I checked into. As a as you know, someone who is on the record as you know Belgians being among his favorite uh, beer things, very jealous. You never especially with the Trappist. Oh, yes, yeah. I will have to make that happen at some point. Who knows when that point is? But. Hopefully they're still making beers whenever that happens. <laughs> Looking around that place, I sincerely doubt they're going to stop anytime soon. But, all right. I guess we'll roll into some Pac-12. Um, I'm going to start with the team that I don't think either of us are on the hype train for. And maybe I'm wrong. Um Washington. Everyone seems to think that this is the team this year, and I, I, I don't buy it. Um, I get it. I just think it's such an aggressive move to think that they're going to make a jump from six wins to, like, 10 or 11. I know it's happened. I know, like, a couple years TCU went from four wins to, like, a million, but, like, that was a very specific circumstance, and they overcame, like, a million injuries the year before, and their defense kind of, kind of proved why... Uh, proved its mettle and none of them left. Washington, like, they're talented. Chris Peters is a really good coach, and I get that, and I think they will be better, and I think they will be good. But, like, sneaky playoff contender just seems like a lot. Yeah, it's a big stretch. Um, I got Washington around, like, 15 to 17. I feel like that's not a bad, like, sweet spot for them. I feel like... That'd be great for them. That'd be a really good year, like, if you took out the hype train. Yeah, like and any I feel other like, year. I feel like, like they'd almost be disappointed by that at this point, though. Yeah, this is, like, stupid. Like, Washington's not classically, like, this, like, elite program. I mean, Peterson's great, and I, I think he's definitely in the conversations with the better coach in college football. But, like, let's – how about we could take this one step at a time? Like, like, wouldn't we all prefer Washington goes, like, I don't know, like a nice, like, 8-4, and 9-3 and three this year and then makes the jump? Like, how about everyone, like, calms down, like – Washington is not a school that is... I mean, I think I read, like, they haven't won 10 games since, like, 1991. And now suddenly we're, like, you know, subscribing them to, like, an unbeaten season. Yeah, especially in the Pac-12 where, like... I I don't know um, if this league even gets, like, a, a playoff team. I think they, they could. They have a lot of teams that are really good. But, like, their top five or six are super, super deep. And... Just automatically, like, penciling in anyone for 10 wins, I think, is, is a little bold. Even, like, a Stanford, who we all expect to be really good, their schedule is brutal. Um, they could they could lose four or five games. Uh, same with USC, same with, like, any of these schools. So, uh, for Washington, like, have them come out of the rafters, even when their schedule isn't quite Stanford-esque. Like, they still have to play Stanford, Wazoo, who had a sneaky year last year, Oregon, um... I forget who they have at a conference besides Rutgers. I don't think Rutgers is typically a team that beats them, but um, no, it's just in Portland State. Yeah, so you have that, which is All nice. At home. Yeah, so you have a chance to pick up a lot of wins. Um, I just think like this a crazy like oh they're going to surge into the top ten. 
a little early, but we'll see. I, I wouldn't be against it. Like I have nothing against the Iowa, the, not the Iowa, the, the Washington program. Um, but it just seems like uh, I'm trying to think of the team that, is, that that had this happen last year. Uh, who was it? Like there was someone that had the crazy hype train and Arkansas. And Arkansas had it. Um, I feel like every year there's like one or two that everyone just goes nuts for, and then like they're fine, they're good. But you know, you had this these crazy hopes, and then when they don't quite come to fruition, it almost seems like a good year is disappointing, which is silly. Uh, especially, like, Washington brings back a lot, but it's not like they have... It's not even, like, the TCU situation um, in 2014 where they brought back literally everyone. Um, like, they still lose, like, a, a handful of really important players uh, from their defense. They lose their top two receivers. So, I, I think there's... A, I think they, they will be, like, a, a nine-win team-ish. Um, I think they're really talented. They could win the Pac-12. That, that's not crazy. Uh, but let's see. Like I, I hate, I hate like predicting these giant jumps for a team that's still like unproven in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree with that. What I want to see from this team is I think their season's going to be defined in a, in like the late September to to late October stretch. Like a lot of teams, to be honest. Yep. Um, I, I want to revisit this team on October thirtieth after they after they travel to Utah. A game that I'm hopefully going to, um, yeah. Which uh, that should be fun. Me and my uh, my college roommates are looking to spend a couple days in Salt Lake. That yeah. is not going to be a beer trip, I'm assuming. <laughs> oh, we're going to make it one anyway. <laughs> we die trying, literally. We, uh, I, I think, you look at this schedule and starting September 30th. You got Stanford at Oregon, Oregon State's a win, and then at Utah. Oregon State's really, really bad. Yeah, like horrifically bad. But but if you if you go two and one or better against Stanford, Oregon, and Utah with two of those games on the road, all then bets they're are legit. Off. Yeah, all bets then are they're off. Very good. And, yeah. and you're very much especially especially if the two wins are Stanford and Oregon, which then gives you two in division tiebreakers. And that's assuming you haven't stubbed your toe at Arizona, which. I don't know what to make of Arizona um, no. at all. I have no idea. They're one of the teams I know. I know a decent amount about them. I just don't know at all what they're going to be because they were so weird last year. Um, but assuming you win that game in uh, at Arizona, then yeah, you have this stretch with uh, Stanford playing Stanford and at Oregon back to back. He's just so mean. That's <laughs> just. You get I know like they have a, a little bit of a day. break there. Yeah, because the Stanford games are Friday, which is going to be a fucking blast. I don't know why, like. If we start seeing some more bigger games on Fridays, like this is how the Pac-12, as long as the games are on ESPN, this is how the Pac-12 gets everybody roped in. Is if you're going to have these Friday night games early in the season and have them be good, yeah, and no one else is doing it, and not be Arizona at Oregon State, well, crap, or anyone at Oregon State. Well, just not. Can we just not show Oregon State on TV this year? Can they like? Can they go get in like some weird like NCAA trouble where they get their games blacked out? Because that might just be better for everyone. Oh, no, it's fine. It's going to be on the Pac-12 network. It's just as bad. Oh, so only people in Beaver, only people in Corvallis can watch. <laughs> just just wish, Corvallis. Don't wish that on the people of Corvallis, Dan. Oh God, they're going to be so bad. I can, can we? This also. I'm just. This is. I'm just stating a fact. Someone left Wisconsin to go coach this team. Yeah, it's dumb. It also and goes I, to show what like what's going and, on at Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, I, and I still kind of get why he did it, but that was like a, that was a move that someone made with uh, free will. Like they weren't forced into it. No. Speaking of Oregon State, um, 
I got one win on this thing. Yeah, yeah I was doing this the other day. We were doing like a, a ceiling floor thing. It's it's hard for them, man. They're just, it's Idaho State. That's it. <laughs> they, they're going to be at Idaho State. I feel pretty good about that. Sorry, ti- sorry, fans of I think they're the Tigers. Idaho State. That sounds right. Bengals. Maybe? We're just going to go with it. They're the Tigers. Um, maybe the Bengals. Maybe they're the Bengals. That's close. that's more more interesting. We're going to look this up. Good radio. <laughs> yeah, they. Are, I think they are the Bengals. Crank up the I like that. machine. Yeah, I like yes. that logo too. This is like this is like the Cincinnati Bengals logo with some personality. It's almost like it's like almost vague, vaguely like uh, anime. It looks like an EA Sports created team. <laughs> it does look like EA Sports created team. You picked uh, Tigers. Congratulations, you unoriginal asshole. <laughs> good thing there are none of those in college football, dude. <laughs> it's fine. Are you in the, are you going to be in the SEC now too? Um, it's fine. They're just going to beat the Beaver Sharks on national television. <laughs> Uh, as opposed, to, I think I think Oregon State wishes it was, wishes it was the Beaver Sharks this year. Um, yeah, Oregon State basically takes a bad team and loses the best players from it. And maybe there's like a weird like addition by subtraction thing, but probably not. Um, they're just really young. Did you see these road games? Yeah, they're, they're, the whole thing is sad. Like at it's Washington, really unfortunate. At Stanford, at UCLA, this is garbage. <laughs> Who did this to them? At Minnesota, like. One of their easiest games is at Minnesota. Which is going to be a loss. They're at Colorado. Colorado's might not be that bad this year. Like no, they They're still not going to make a bowl. S- no, but they're going to probably fight for one. And they're gonna, I think Colorado beats Oregon State by 21. Yeah, that's, that's a fair bet. Um, with, no, I forgot. Colorado doesn't have Davis Webb. They did. But then Davis Webb's like, uh, no, I'm good. Peace. <laughs> I don't, usually we come from this. Usually we come to these previews from the top down. And this time, apparently, we're just doing bottom up. Well, it's because you started talking about Oregon State too much, and just felt like we just had to we just had to put them out the pasture. That's something that no one's ever said. <laughs> no one has ever been accused of talking about Oregon State too much. Not a soul. But yeah, Boise State. Like, who knows if Boise even is this year after a weird 2015? But like, they're probably not going to be worse than Oregon State at Colorado. Like I said, when that's you know, I guess if you're signing for a road game, you'll take at Colorado. But I feel very confident that the Buffaloes win that. At Washington, assuming that they are like who everyone says they are, that's brutal. At Stanford, at UCLA, back to back, that's Bludgeon brutal to death. Yeah, so they'll beat Idaho State. Maybe, maybe they sneak a win between. Uh, maybe Tracy Clay's is just an abomination, but I can't see them winning that game. Or they sneak one from Colorado, but I really don't see that. Or like Wazoo falls off the map, but like it's really hard to see more than one win here. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about the like, – I don't want to talk about all the other shitty teams at the bottom, but we'll talk about Colorado because I actually feel like there's some intrigue there. Just cause, They're like, interesting. Colorado, yeah, because Colorado should be better, are, are not, and have not been better. But, yeah, looking at this schedule, they also face Idaho State. The Bengals just making making big moves. Maybe they're going to move into the Pac-12. If Idaho, if Idaho Maybe State goes Colorado 2-0. Maybe Colorado leaves. <laughs> Colorado leaves and Idaho State takes it. And then Idaho just – Idaho folds their stool. Yeah, just, just like falls into a crater. It's like we're done. No, if Idaho State goes two and zero against those teams, like Idaho State deserves their spot. I'm going. I'm going to Las Vegas the weekend before the college football season starts. Yeah. Should I throw like ten dollars on a parlay of Idaho State beating Oregon State and Colorado? Can I? Will anyone even take that action? That 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 sweet parlay action. I think. So. I mean, you can find someone there to take it. What do you think the odds would be? 
plus that, plus eight hundred. Oh, I think probably, getting, probably better. Probably, probably. Although, admittedly, they usually don't do a ton of lines on. Yeah, that's the problem. FCS games. Mm. Also, be sure to. This is like not even podcast talk. Be sure to hit me up before you go so I can give you some recommendations. Absolutely. I've as never a, been. So, as, uh, as a Vegas frequenter. Yes. I, I know. I, I, you can tell I'm, I'm good at Vegas when I'm going the last weekend in August. I'm Oof. sure it won't be 150 degrees. All right, Pete, Dan. <laughs> um, all right, so Colorado. I'm looking at the schedule, and again... They have to play at Michigan. Oh, no. Oh, and then Lord. at Oregon the next week. Who did... Shit. Who's the schedule makers? Who made these? Larry Scott, you asshole. <laughs> at Michigan, at Oregon, and then they get Oregon State, so that's nice. And then at USC. <laughs> three, in, three, in, in a month, they have to play at... Three of the probably fifteen most talented schools in the country. Like, can the Pac-12 like take a page out of like the SEC's book and like just make like five of the teams crap? <laughs> that's <laughs> the problem. Is like like there's there's one garbage team. There's one team that's probably bad. I don't think Cal's gonna be very good. I know some people are excited about them. Davis Webb can be okay, but I'm not that excited about Cal. No, Cal's trash. Arizona, Arizona, and Washington State are like total enigmas. Arizona State, I feel like. I don't really know what they are either. I, the Arizona schools are just mysteries this year. Just combined uh, to be like an eight and four team. And then like Utah should be pretty stingy, if not quite as good as they were last year, because they don't have their they don't have Devontae Booker. And then the top five are all like, I mean, I don't know how good like USC will be, but they're going to be uber talented. They can beat anyone. UCLA, same thing. They have a great quarterback. And then you obviously have Stanford and Oregon and Washington. Um, who even if none of them like quite live up to like gaudy expectations, they should all at least be game. But like, here's the thing: like Colorado could be like a watchable team, and they're not going to be watchable for several weeks on end. Yeah, because it's they get thrown to the wolves. Like even Colorado State, that's not an easy opening game, especially now that they're like year two of Mike Bobo. They have some talent. Um, Wait, Jim Levitt's the defensive coordinator for Colorado. Yeah. Oh. I forgot about that. Interesting. Did he still wear a visor? Who knows? Hopefully, he might have. He might have had. He might have changed the brand up after his. You uh, might need interesting. To. <laughs> his interesting uh, falling out at USF. You might need to with the elevation. Get some sunburn there. It's true. All right. So leaving the bottom of the conference because that's depressing. We talked about Washington. Let's talk about Wazoo before we get to the California teams. I will forever ride for Wazoo as long as Mike Leach is there. Oh, same. It's 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 freaking great. The, the the pirate leech is just such a such an animated character. Do you think Mike Leach has a pirate ship on wheels that he just rides around the Palouse? Oh yeah, it's a big wooden pirate ship. I, I think that he has like linemen pull for him on ropes. No, I think he's got one. I think he's got one in his house that that he like oars around. And he has just like an oar room. And... <laughs> <laughs> on like a track, like yeah, or like maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe he just maybe he just puts it on wheels. Oh my god! He spends like an hour a day. He just has he has pirate time for just you know to unwind. <laughs> you know he, he does that and he just he, he he rows around his boat and he shoots pictures of Craig James in his backyard. <laughs> <laughs> he just has mannequins dressed as Craig James that he shoves in dark rooms. <laughs> yeah, he's just got his like. 
Yeah, I, I can see the, the, the leech experience when he walks in. Puts on a pirate hat, a patch, he grabs his sword, he grabs a parrot and a t-shirt that just says, Craig James killed five hookers. <laughs> and then just spends the entire evening target practice. Oh, God. I love Mike Leach so much. I wish he was my coach. He's the not, not Syracuse coach. I wish he was, like, my personal life my coach. Life coach. Yeah, so I, yeah I, they should... They could be good this year, right? Like they I'm could be okay. Very, I'm very high on Washington State. Like stupidly high on them, like to the point where I'm like concerned that I think they're going to win nine games. You know what the craziest stat of last football season is? What is that? A Washington State running back got 100 carries. Ooh, that is wild. Like, and I, I noticed that last year too, because like you could tell he obviously they're not running the ball that much, but like they definitely ran a little more last year. It, it, like a lot of things with with Wazoo last year made it seem like Leach was like a little less. Uh, totally reluctant to do like things that aren't Leachian. Like they definitely mixed it up a little bit more. Uh, obviously, they still threw the ball a ton. Uh, and Luke Falt's really good. They have some nice receivers. Um, Gabe Martz is legit. Like <laughs> they have a guy named River Craycraft, which is amazing. That's that's fantastic. Um, he's actually their third leading receiver. Uh, but yeah, they're they're. Uh, I don't think like I, I think Washington State's one of those teams that has a really limited. Upside, but that's why buying in on Leach and giving him enough time to get his thing done, like, is so smart because you're never going to attract like crazy talent to the Palouse. Like, you're that's just a big ask. Like, you're basically like asking people to come to to Idaho. Like, Boise State gets it done, kinda. But even Boise is like a more attractive destination, I think, than than Pullman. Um, but yeah, I mean, he it took him a couple of years, but he seems to have at least like a fairly competitive team. And that's, I think if you're a Washington state fan, that's all you have to, to really ask for. You're never, you're not going to get a lot better. Yeah. Like I'm looking at the schedule. The, the only problem is like Washington state's not going to be able to enjoy the spoils of like, you know, rising in the polls and stuff that others do. Like you've got a real make or break stretch from September 10th through October 15th at Boise. You get a joke against Idaho. And then you got Oregon at Stanford, UCLA. It's tough. And even at, at, at Arizona state, it's not like, I mean, yeah, we don't know what that'll be, but really it might, it might be tough. I don't buy Arizona State this year. But, yeah, it could be tough. I, I just think, you look at that four-game stretch. If you go 2-2, two and two, I'd say that's respectable. But it also probably means you're not hanging around, like, the top 10 or so. But then, I, I kind of buy into the at Arizona State through at Colorado stretch. Like, even if you go 1-3 and three in that opening bit... You're probably going to be seven and three. You know, sorry, eight and three going into the Washington game. Especially, it's nice because like Arizona and Cal. Maybe there's a universe where those are toss-up games, but you get them both at home, and then you should be able to win at Colorado. Uh, and obviously, you're you're hopefully going to beat Oregon State. So yeah, they have a. It might look pretty dark uh, heading into that, but like they should like this should be a bowl team this year for sure. I, I'd be very disappointed if they weren't. Yeah, like this is a team that could potentially be two and four, and could potentially end the season eight and four. Sounds like a 2012 Syracuse. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> That's what everybody needs for their uh, their sanity and well-being. Is that season replayed? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go down with eight and four on them. All right. So we say we're not talking about the Arizona schools because who, who knows what they are? No. Uh, UCLA, my. Uh, my one of my hometown teams over here. We, uh, I'm always a big Bruin supporter. 
the thing is, like, around here, you either have to pull for UCLA or USC. Now, I grew up rooting for USC. It's how I became a bit of an insomniac because I had started watching USC football all the time at night. And on the East Coast, it's a lot more difficult than it is here. Um, and then, you know, the Pete Carroll teams were just fun as hell. But, you know, I married into a UCLA-supporting family. So I don't hate USC, but I kind of have to root for UCLA. Um, also, the Rose Bowl is a more fun venue to go to anyway. So between all that, I, uh, I, I'd say I'm rooting for the Bruins. The Bruins' schedule doesn't really cooperate with them looking as good as they actually do. Um, I feel like that's I, pretty normal. Yeah, that's pretty normal. I do love me some Josh Rosen. Um, I think he's going to grow by leaps and bounds this year. I could see him being a real Dark Horse Heisman contender. And if you ask me, I think UCLA, by way of not having Stanford's schedule, is probably this conference's best bet at the playoff team. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm always like a little on edge with Jim Mora, just as like he just weird things happen with him, um, and it and feels like, dumb, like, like weirdly dumb things. Weirdly dumb things, and like his temperament's a little interesting sometimes. And uh, but you have Rosen, which is a huge uh, trump card in a lot of ways. They have a manageable schedule. BYU is tough, but like I feel like they should be BYU, especially a first year head coach. They should hammer BYU. Although yeah. we said that last year, and then they needed like a Hail Mary to beat them. Right. Virginia, you, you'll be at UNLV. Like, they're still in the in the dregs. You have two Arizonas. At Stanford's tough. It, it's weird. I feel like the South's almost like more manageable this year than the North. Like, I, I feel like maybe there are more teams that can beat you, but the top isn't as, as great unless USC breaks out, which I'm not betting on. Um if you listen to this podcast ever, <laughs> you realize that this isn't the USC friendliest podcast, at least in terms of like their decision making and their, uh, you know, how they choose to run their program. I think every podcast hates USC. I don't hate USC. I just think they're hilarious. No, I same. To be honest, like I said, I don't hate USC at all. But I just think every I think every podcast just just buries them alive just for fun. Yeah, that A and M opener is super interesting because A and M like. I feel like the last couple of weeks, there's kind of like a turn on A&M where everyone's like, ah, oh, maybe they'll be pretty good. And like, they have the pieces. Um, They've had the pieces. It's hard, it's hard to buy on A&M just after the last couple of years. But, you know, if Trevor Knight like comes out guns blazing and like plays with some kind of renewed vigor that he lost because Baker Mayfield was sneaking up on him in Oklahoma, you know, he did beat Alabama that one time pretty badly. So there's that. And they have Miles Garrett, who's maybe the best defensive player in the country. And they have like a million receivers. So they could be pretty good. Um, so that's it. That, I mean, that's kind of one of those sneaky that almost is buried by week one because week one's so crazy that like UCLA at AM is like a really nice uh, non conference matchup and it's like maybe the 10th best one that day, which is fine. Yeah, I uh, I want this to be a good game because I want to get excited for the game when it's back out here the next year so I can actually go to it and like want to go to it as long as it's not the same time as the Syracuse game. That'll be. Syracuse has a habit of scheduling on a Friday night against an FCS team, so it should be fun. Yeah, I mean, we've had the Friday night opener, what, like four years in a row now or something? At least. Or like three of the last four years or something. We have it this year. I'll be there. I'll be there for you, Colgate. <laughs> I see you, hoodoo. Yeah, my, my late August, early September, I'm going to Colgate and Louisville because I can. And a uh, lot, of, lot of trips for me. I'm jealous. So if you're in the Syracuse area... Or Las Vegas, or wherever else I end up. Let me know. 
I will be within four hours of Vegas. That's as not you specifically, case. just anyone. <laughs> if you are a person, if you're a human that listens to this broadcast, uh, yeah, hit me up. I'll be in. I'll be in the pews two back to back Fridays, and probably not Saturday because I have to go work for a college football website, which means I have to be back at work the next morning. Yeah, smart decisions. <laughs> Well, you heard the man. I guess before we get to the conclusion of this podcast, uh, can't leave without talking about Roll Damn Card and the uh, the Stanford Cardinal, who my favorite Pac-12 team, but also the one that has decided to punish itself with the schedule so so badly. Yeah, like Stanford should be a legitimate playoff contender, and they might just lose it because they decided to play this schedule, which is insane. It's not great. And, like, admittedly, they really didn't have a choice for all of it, save Kansas State. Which they should deal with Kansas State. It's just, like, it all piled up on them this year. Yeah. Especially, like, Notre Dame has a chance to be, like, a top-five team this year. They, I, I'm actually really bullish on Notre Dame. Um, Plus the week two bye. Like, that, that, that's really where the trash comes in. Which sucks. And then you have, like, the crazy year of the Pac-12 North, which, if Washington pans out, is, like, one of the best divisions in the sport this year. Um Oregon, like, they could be really good. I actually, like, it all hinges on Prukop, but I think if Prukop works out, I, I love Oregon this year, and I know that's not going to be popular with you. <laughs> I just, I think they have a lot of talent, and I think uh, last year... I'm not going to talk about that trash program, okay? I, okay. <laughs> it's your show, John. Uh, no, it's fine. <laughs> you, you can talk about Oregon if you want. I just want to talk about Stanford first. Okay. Um... I mean, I, I hope Stanford's really good. Christian McCaffrey is just such a joy to watch. Um, defensively, like, they were kind of middling last year. Uh, they bring back a decent amount of that unit, and they are a year older, which is usually a good recipe for success. Uh, O-line needs some patching up, and, like, quarterback, obviously. Kevin Hogan wasn't always the best, but he, he got the job done, admittedly, most of the time. And he, he had some really big games last year. I think he actually kind of ended up being a little underrated, um, despite kind of maddening sometimes. Um so, yeah, the, Stanford should be really good uh, unless, like, the offensive line or the quarterback situation blows up. But the schedule is so punishing. It's I, I don't know that I buy USC in Week 2. Like, Stanford, I think, should win that game. But there's a chance USC is awesome. Like, USC has so much talent. And then, like, like, look at this through October 15th. It's just, like, sucks. It's silly. Your easiest game there is Washington State. And like you said, like, Washington State's not an easy game. They play a really specific style. Like, they can put up 60 points just on a whim. Like, that's not – like, they should be Washington State, and they should beat them without much of an issue. But, like, Washington State can win that game, a 1,000%. Especially because, like, Stanford isn't exactly bringing, like, a huge home field advantage all the time. So, this is tough. It's – it's like, this could be a really good Stanford team that goes 9-4. and four. Yeah, and, like, that, that hurts me so much because I want Stanford to be good. Um, and they're going to be good. It's just like McCaffrey's Heisman campaign is going to be derailed even more than it was last year when he deserved it. He's under Toby Gerhardt. Oh, yeah. This is – yeah, this isn't fair. The thing is, though, I don't buy Oregon because screw them. But <laughs> they could potentially win the last six games of this thing and still not even be sniffing a playoff. Right. Or, I mean, the bright side is they could – their, their schedule is so good that – and good, I mean, like, it's so potent that if they did lose a game, they're probably still in contention. Like, if you, yeah, drop, if you drop at UCLA week three and you run the table, 
Like, it's going to be, obviously, a million other things have to happen. But that's a team that's still getting looks, for sure. To be honest, though, I feel like this is a team that could contend with two losses. Like, I know that the playoffs is not going to do it. I mean, like, it was considered last year, but the loss to Northwestern hurt them. Yeah. This year, if they don't lose to a team like that, let's say they lose to... Let's say Washington lives up and goes like ten and two, and one of their one of Stanford's losses is to Washington. Like they lose at Washington at Notre Dame, and yeah, Notre yeah. Dame is one of the playoff teams or falls apart. Yeah, yeah, it's tough because like with the playoff, we've only had two years of it. So like everyone said, you know, oh, you're going to need to only lose one game, but like we don't know. There's there's so many precedents that haven't been set yet that it's impossible to really know how it turns out. Um, or, like, I mean, people people didn't think, like, it was hard to imagine the Pac-12 getting left out, and then they were. And this year, like, there's scenarios, like, I could see the Big Ten getting left out this year. I could see Ohio State and Michigan both, like, beating up on each other and having, you know, Michigan State steal one and having that entire division have, like, a loss or two. And the Big Ten gets left out completely, which is, like, unfathomable otherwise. But the playoff is just such, like, a, it's such a new thing that we... We think we know like all there is to know about college football, but it's still like such in its, in, in its infancy as a as a system that every year there's going to be a unique situation, and we won't know exactly how these things work out until like 10, 15 years down the road. And by then, like we'll probably have an eight, we'll probably have an eighteen playoff, so it'll all get turned on its head anyway. Yeah, and that's fine. I think for I think for a lot of people, it, it's going to be it's going to get harder and harder to accept a two team a two loss team. Just like it'll be harder and harder to accept a team that schedules like this being left out with two losses. I mean, Stanford was in the conversation last year, um, you know, with two losses. And I feel like, you know, and that's with a loss to Northwestern that nobody really bought into. That if you lose to two very, very good teams here, like a Washington and Notre Dame or whatever, and let's say that there's like a down year and that there's no unbeaten team and you're looking at a couple... Like, let's say that, that the SEC champ is two losses, Stanford is two losses, and then you have one-loss teams everywhere else. Like, are you really going to leave out Stanford with the schedule? I think the answer is a flat-out no. You'd think that, but then it, I think the SEC machine becomes a real a real uh, issue for Stanford in that situation. Ugh. Like, two-loss Alabama, even with a schedule that's... I mean, Alabama's schedule is pretty decent, too. They play USC, well, and they play Bama. the West. Damn, what about like two loss old miss? Then I think then you have a uh, legit debate. Right. Because you know you know Ole Miss said beat Alabama again, so they're gonna have the <laughs> Alabama win under their uh, up their sleeve. Of course. Because <laughs> that's what Ole Miss does. They beat Alabama and then they lose two stupid games and then they blow out someone in a bowl. Or well actually that doesn't always happen because TCU basically like ended their program a couple years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and that they came back. <laughs> that death penalty didn't really work. Um oh god. I forgot. I actually forgot about that game. What did TCU win by, like, 55? <laughs> yeah, it was, like, 52 to nothing. It was like stupid shit. <laughs> At least Ole Miss beat up on Oklahoma State last year, so that was fun. Agreed. Um, all right. So, we don't have time for Oregon. That's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this was planned. It's almost like this was planned. Oregon is trash. Um, I still think they're going to win, like, nine games. I'll, I'll admit it. And, and we'll leave it at that. Um, there'll be plenty of time to talk about random teams and, and all that other stuff. Um, during the season next week we talk sec which should be a joy um as we have a lot of shade to throw and plenty of props to give as someone who finally saw alabama in person 
this past January. I have a lot of praise to hand that program, Saban, and the whole lot. Roll Tide. Roll Damn Tide. Uh, be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on whatever other service you might use. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. And uh, yeah, talk to you next week. Peace out, everyone. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.